Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Of all the great ballerinas, Tanaquil Leclerc may have been the most transcendent, with a body unlike any before hers. She mesmerized viewers and choreographers alike. Her elongated racehorse physique, she became the new prototype for the great George Balanchine. Because of her extraordinary movement and unique personality on stage, she became the muse to two of the greatest choreographers in dance, George Balanchine and Jerome Robbins. She eventually married Balanchine, and, Ro- and Robbins created her f- famous version of Afternoon of a, f- of a Fawn for her. She had love, fame, adoration, and foremost uh, dancer of her day until suddenly it all stopped. We're joined today by the director of An Afternoon of a Fawn, Tanaquil Leclerc. We're joined today by the director of the film, Nancy Bersky. Nancy, welcome to film school. It's great to be there. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, it is a wonderful documentary. I will admittedly... Uh, candidly tell you, I did not know uh, anything about Tanaquil until I saw your film. What a remarkable life and what a remarkable story. Tell me uh, a little bit, tell our audience a little bit about how you uh, got involved with this project. Uh, Happy to, uh, and you were not alone. Most people had not heard of her outside of the fairly closed ballet society world. Um, she had had receded from the limelight after she was stricken with polio, which is a key factor in making this film. Um, this film is not just a, a dance film, which would be perfectly wonderful if it were, I guess, because people love dance films and they love to watch dance on, on screen. But um, this film is also a film about a very courageous woman who has to understand who she is once she can no longer dance and that's really the story that we have here um i was mesmerized when i watched her dance the small segment of afternoon of a fawn which appeared in the documentary on jerome robbins mm. jerome robbins and george balanchine had been inspired by tana keel's uh incredible physicality and and personality on stage and there was a segment in that documentary on her, and I was totally seduced by her. So, so from that that moment of seduction, if you will, uh, what were the steps in this process to get? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of archival footage. I don't know how difficult that was to find. Some of it looked like it might have been kinescopes. It it so there must have been some sort of uh, travails in, in acquiring this uh, this data this information. But tell me a little bit about from seeing that and making the decision to move forward. Uh, and this whole process of gathering this in, uh, the, the material. Well, you know, you always have to get the people who are protecting someone's legacy to agree to cooperate. Um, film is a very collaborative uh, process, and there are many people who have to be part of it for you to be able to move forward and get that archival footage that you referred to. Mm-hmm. So um, I talked to a few people in the ballet world, and most importantly, Barbara Horgan, who was George Balanchine's longtime assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke with her. She's now the managing director of the George Balanchine Trust. 
and she would have had to give her uh, okay and an encouragement to go ahead with this um, in order for us to get that archival footage and encourage other people to talk to us as well. So she came on board as an advisor and was really so important in getting this film made. Um, and then other people in the ballet world began to come on board as well. Uh, Tanakil LeClaire had been a very private person mm-hmm. as, as both a dancer and after um, her polio. And there are people who wanted to protect her privacy, but they also believe strongly that her legacy was, was important and um, this was the right time for such a film. Yeah, um, and I, th- I think it's important to point out um, Tanakil's, uh her place in, in the in sort of the, the development of the ballerina as we know it here, certainly in the United States, and how, how different she was. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what a dramatic um, uh, sort of difference she was from a more typical ballerinas of her time. You know, before Tanny, as she was referred to as Tanny by those who knew her, um, she had, the, the dancers were rather short. They were quick. Um, they were they were spunkier in a way, mm-hmm. and Tanny comes on the scene with these long legs and long arms and graceful, um, kind of elongated expression, and um, it changed everything. Uh, as we say in the film, George Balanchine would often make dancers based on the physicality of the women who inspired him, and once he began to make dances. Or Tanny, um, everything changed. Hmm. Yeah, I, I got the impression that uh, from the description in the film. Uh, by the way, we're speaking with Nancy Bursky. The film is called "Afternoon of a Fawn." Tanakul Leclerc. I'm, I keep wanting to say Leclerc. You you can apparently say it that way, but it, uh, I'm she fighting the impulse. She said it both ways. Yes, she said it both ways. She was born in Paris. Yes. And her father was French. Her mother was from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. She moved to the United States at age three. Um, and and became very American. In fact, she's she's commonly thought of as the first American trained dancer in the school of American ballet. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and just to go back to the point of how different she was as a, as a as an artist or a ball, as a ballerina. Um, it, I te- I got the impression that that uh, ballerinas tended to be more gymnastic, uh, sort of the what we see today is more the gymnast body type. And and along she comes and. And as you said, she's long legs, angular, and Balanchine said, "This she's going to inspire me, she has inspired me to write uh, choreography related to her and her body type. And that's a fair way to say that's it? That's correct. And, yeah, well, let me, let me actually back up and mention that I, when I said the first American trained dance, what I meant was the first important principal in the school that came out of the School of American Ballet who was had a uniquely American feel to her. Um, prior to that, many of the important dancers in um, the New York City Ballet had been Russian-born or Russian-trained, like Maria Tolchi, if she had been trained with the Ballet Russe in Russia. Um, and what makes her... Make, makes that American quality is a certain athleticism mm-hmm. um, and an ability to stretch and do things that other dancers had not been doing prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, she was often, it was often said that she might not have been the best technically trained dancer, but she had this huge stretch and, and, and kind of gracefulness, this linear quality that some of the other dancers who might have been more um, gymnastic, as you say, might not have had. 
So, um, yes, she, he, she was a muse, definitely, to George Balanchine. And once inspired by her, he wanted to make dances that accommodated her body. Yeah, and, uh, and so not as necessarily the, uh, as technically proficient as some other ballerinas might have been at the, of the time. But you're right, watching the clips of her, there, you get a much more uh, visceral feel, for uh, uh, emotional feel for her dancing. She was a dancer. I would just say probably more than she was a technician, right? I, I think that's really well put, and I, I think the other thing that comes through very strongly is her personality on stage. Yeah. Um, and one of our, our narrators in the film make the point that George Balanchine was often inspired with people who had strong personality, and she certainly did. Um, uh, she was visceral in the sense that she was actually quite sensual on stage. Yeah. There were many times you would look at her and you'd be totally seduced by her. But then she'd be comic. She could be very, very funny, um, and, and she... And as, as Jerome Robbins says in our in our film, um, she could do anything. She could do comedy roles. She could do sexy roles. She could do very elegant roles, as she does with Symphony and C. I mean, she really could do anything. And I guess the lasting impact, and we can talk about this maybe a little bit later, but I, I think the lasting impact uh, for her is that she she's a prototype for the types of ballerinas and dancers we see today. Is that fair statement? That Yes, she, yes. She I is. think that the, the, the tall, angular, very thin dancer, long arms, long legs, really come from um, the Tannekeel Leclerc, uh, you know, prototype. Uh, in, a, in addition to uh, George Balanchine falling in love with her and eventually marrying her, there was another love in her life. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about the relationship she had with the other great choreographer of the time. Yes, uh, Jerome Robbins really was her soulmate. I mean, it's, as much as she loved, she truly loved George Balanchine for himself and for his his genius. Um, Jerry Robbins was closer to her in age. Um, they were both very American in a way, and um, they would have fun together, and they shared so much. They even shared the, a love of photography. Um, so many of the photographs that you see in our film were taken by Jerry Robbins, and Tanny um, picked up a camera and started shooting as well. Um, there were there were all sorts of ways that they 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 were connected and remained good friends um, in and out of the rest of her life. Um, we have a large segment in our film of letters um, that was writ- that were written back and forth between the two of them once she was stricken by polio. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear that she reached out to him when she was ill, and he was there for her. Yeah. Um, they have a little bit of a rocky relationship uh, towards the end of her life. But um, he's always there in some form or another, and um, he was a very, very important uh, friend and was also inspired by her dancing. Now, you just alluded to the the, the tragedy, the, the epic tragedy in, in, in Tanaquil's life, and, and that is uh, uh, being stricken with polio. I don't know how much of the detail you want to get into it, because that <laughs> part of it is such a fascinating and tragic, talk about tragic, uh, the the incident that basically led up to her getting uh, the the uh, being stricken with polio, a remarkable, terrible uh, tragedy. I, I really can't underscore that enough because uh, it could have been prevented, probably. Right? I mean, is that yes? And I think maybe we will save that detail yeah, for yeah. people to see the film because yeah. there's a, a a tragic irony to it. Yeah. Um, but I think most people 
those who know of Tani and even those who may not have known about her before that but have read about our film will know that she was stricken with polio yeah. and it ended her career. Yeah. And, um, the, you know, you yeah. and I have just spent some time talking about how important she was so so we can recognize that her um, her the end of her career was a tragedy for everybody in the dance world because yeah. they lost one of their great stars. Yeah, and... Um, but, but, go ahead. You know, but most importantly, um, they lost, um, uh, you know, she lost her, her career and she lost what was the greatest fulfillment of her life. And she needed to then reestablish herself as a, um, a person who was no longer a dancer. And one of the, the important, I think, themes in our film is looking at how we all need to reinvent ourselves when we find we cannot do what we always thought we would do. Yeah, yeah, and that you're absolutely right. That the really uh, important part of the film, an important aspect of the film, is her uh, determination and uh, to rebuild her life and move on. And uh, at one point, somebody described her as uh, a bit spoiled, and that in fact may have been a kind of a saving, uh, saving characteristic. If she was in fact spoiled, but she certainly felt that she deserved to have a great life, um, whether that's a sense of entitlement or just a determination. Uh, she certainly had a little bit of both of those, and um, she made herself uh, relevant, again, in the dance world. And I, I think it's it, we, uh, I, we should point out the role of Arthur Mitchell in, in her uh, the second act of her life. It was a very important person for her. That's correct. He, she ends up teaching at the Dance Theater of Harlem. Um, but I think the way you've characterized her is totally um, appropriate. She was, she was special. She yeah. knew she was special ever since she was a little girl. Her mother treated her as special. She was raised in a kind of hot house environment where she was protected um, from anything that could have gotten in the way of her dance studies. Um, she, I don't think she even from high school. She was just so totally focused on dance, and she was so gifted that um, she was made to feel very, very special from the very beginning. She moved from the dance, from the School of American Ballet, directly into principal roles. She never actually danced in the core. Um, this is unheard of, and, and in fact, some of the other dancers resented it at first when she had lead roles um, right out of the School of American Ballet. So she had to have felt very privileged um, while while she was a dancer. Then she ends up marrying George Balanchine and feels that much more privileged. And and so I suspect that that personality is part of what forged her ability to have a very full life after she was a dancer. That she was always going to be special in some ways. Well, and, and you know, uh, uh, by the way, we're speaking with Nancy Bursky. The film is uh, Afternoon of a, of a Fawn, um, Tanaquil Leclerc. Leclerc, and uh, the uh, I I I I think what makes what separates her and her story, even taking away the the part the tragic part of the polio uh, being stricken by polio, I think the fact that she was gifted, she was in the right circumstances, she was in the right place at the right time, and she loved what she did. There there are those you can have a lot of those elements and not have the last. And be considered really good at something, but you're. I think you really move into the classification as something special when it's something that you also love to do. And I think that's you, what. You so. know, I think that's very interesting, and I think that um, I, quite honestly, I don't know of many dancers who have 
get to a point where they have such an important, get to a point where their lives are so um, engulfed by the dance who don't love it. It takes too much work. Is that right? You know, there's so much, there's so much discipline and so much work and so much pain associated with dancing that if you don't love it, I suspect you're going to give it up pretty quickly. And I've talked to many young dancers um, in the process of making the film and now showing it around the country um, who talk about how either they loved it and they're so passionate about it and they're they're thrilled that they are, which is, or those who took it up and found they just could not sustain that discipline. Um, and and actually gave it up, and maybe they teach or they write or they do something else related to dance, but they just can't keep up the physical work mm. it entails. Yeah, and I've heard that, uh, as you say that, I, I, I remember hearing that ballet is terrifically um, involving physically, and the pain involved in being able to do what they do is extraordinary in term, even for a dancer. Is that not fair? Oh yeah. yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! Wow! Well, it, it's it, it, again well, very well done uh, film. And, and by the way, I want to also remind our listeners that you're going to be uh, here in t- you were in town here in Los Angeles, uh, and you're going to be at the uh, Lemley Royal tonight for the 7:50 screening. Are you, so I assume you're doing a and a after the screening? Or? That's right. Okay. That's right. I'll do a QA and a And um, it's also showing two other Lemley theaters in the area, um, the Lemley Theater in Encino and right. also in Pasadena. But I will be at the uh, Lemley Royal uh, in Santa Monica, and I'm very excited. Um, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of people will come out for it uh, tonight. I'll be at the 750 show. Right, and I also have listed the Lemley Playhouse 7 as well. So it's actually, unless that is not correct, but... Uh, I, I, you know what, if, if you would double-check that, I thought it was the Lemley. Is it Playhouse 7 um, also in Hollywood? or is No, that... Le- the Lemley Playhouse 7 is in Pasadena. I have the Royal Theater, Lemley Royal in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. In Lemley yeah, Town yeah. Center. Sorry, I said Pasadena, Encino, and um, the Lemley Royal. Oh, you, you were, yes, you did say that correctly. I stand yeah. corrected. My my bad. <laughs> okay, you did say that correctly. Nah, uh, no problem. Uh, yeah, and uh, I also want to let our listeners know that you're also responsible uh, prior to doing afternoon of a fawn uh you also did uh, the loving story um and what a terrific emmy award-winning film um just a, a fantastic another fantastic story of which i did not know anything about until and it's just uh, that is a remarkable documentary congratulations on that thank you very much yeah thank you very much you know in, in both cases um these films these stories grabbed me and um with, with their power and in many, in both cases, love is a central theme in both yeah. both stories. Um, and I was struck with how is it that they have never been told before in documentary. So I feel blessed that I I came across them when I did, and um, and they and they both they're both doing so well. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that it's important, uh, especially particularly with the, the loving story, is these are stories that have just gotten lost in history. We sort of have the broad view of civil rights in this country, and things got you know were bad, and then they got better, and then they got a little worse, and they got better again, and all <laughs> that kind, of, sort of the back and forth and the ebb and flow of history. Uh, and you sort of pluck the story out, which is just so remarkable in that people who love one another were not allowed to be married to one another for the most fallacious and just disgusting reasons imaginable, but to pull it out and to humanize it and to make it a story that we can all relate to uh, is was just a fantastic accomplishment on on your part and just a wonderful story. And, this, and I would even say, again, about Afternoon of a Fawn, just knowing, uh, you know, a history of, of 
the arts, uh, as particularly ballet and choreography and dancing, that we love, and yet at the same time we just kind of we don't know where <laughs> there's so many. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just commenting, yeah. thinking, geez, that you're so correct. I love the, the term plucking it out of history. Um, in, in the case of the loving story, this is an interracial couple who yeah. were, were not allowed to marry in the, in the late 50s in Virginia. And once they did marry, they were thrown into jail, and they took their case to the Supreme Court, ultimately. And um, that court, in 1967, overturned all the um, miscegenation statutes in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's... Uh, it was known within the legal circles, but not well known outside of them. And it's just, a, I guess, an effort on all our, you know, many documentary filmmakers um, strive to put kind of flesh and blood on stories that are, you know, in textbooks, but people don't really understand how human they are. Yeah, and so how, <laughs> and in some ways, how recent they are. I mean, that really mm-hmm. isn't that long ago that people were thrown in jail for marrying someone of another ethnicity. This isn't that's in America. And, and it I just know. it just it it flies in the face of what we're often told is, you know, that this, you know, exceptional country doing we're we're incapable of these kinds of things. And we'll know we're actually not incapable of those kinds of things. And no. thank, thank you for, for that. And I, thank you for explaining the story. I was going on and on about it, but I realized when you were saying I hadn't explained what the film was actually about. Thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's good. Uh, um, That's yeah, very fine. good. I mean, I, I, I guess that w- one other thing I'd just like to add is that the thing that attracts me so much to Afternoon of a Fawn is similar to what attracted me to the loving story in that the human themes are so critical to our understanding who we are as a as a as a society and yeah. and as individuals. You know, how do we persevere in the face of tragedy? How do we deal with um, not being told we can't love who we feel we can love, yeah. even if we don't want to change history? We're not in it to to change history. We're not in it to become heroes. We just want to live the lives that we feel we have the the right to live. So yeah. um, I think the human beings in both both of those films really are what motivated me and I hope we'll, we'll encourage people to see them. <laughs> yes, I do too. Uh, I, we've come a long ways as a society. We have. And as uh, Martin Luther King said, the inevitable arc of the history of, uh, of, of the world inevitably bends towards justice. And thankfully it is seem, it does seem to bend that way. Hopefully, and it will continue. Uh, Afternoon of the Fawn is uh, just a wonderful documentary. I, uh, and it is a, a love story. And it is uh, about an, a, a wonderful artist and a, and a tradition and um, and and her tenacity to to move forward with her life after this unspeakable tragedy occurs. So, thank you so much for being here, Nancy. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, uh, and one last quick thing. And are you working on anything now? Is there something in the on the? There are a few things, and I might be a little bit early to okay. say say much about them, but. Can I encourage people to um, follow Afternoon of a Fawn on Facebook yes. and um, and even join my Facebook page, Nancy Bursky, and I'll be um, talking about upcoming projects as they develop. Very good. And the website for the film is, it's in here in front of me, what is it? Go ahead. Afternoonofafawn.com. There you go. Easy enough. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and by the fawn, by the way, fawn, F-A-U-N, in case somebody That's was... That's correct. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I might even mention that the 
the film will be coming out in DVD uh, in June, and we will have a TV broadcast on American Masters, which we'll be announcing pretty soon. But um, we, we encourage people to come and see it on a big screen. We're very excited about how it, it plays on the screen with the beautiful dance and music. Uh, you know, we, we hope people will come and see it this weekend in uh, in L.A. And see you at the, uh, if they want to uh, see it, to get uh, uh, the the uh, the bird's eye view of the film from the director, it's, uh, you can go to the Lemley Royal uh, tonight uh, for the 750 screening, and you'll do a Q&A after that. Go to, go, to these, uh, go to these films, because the suits care about that opening weekend a lot, and it determines the fate of films oftentimes, whether or not they roll out beyond the opening weekend so go go see uh, go see afternoon of a fawn this uh, t- this weekend thank you nancy thank you take care you've been listening to film school radio the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films you can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.